Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men comic commentary podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here today, right now, to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 211, the November 1986 issue, on sale August 5th of 1986, uh, with a cover price of 75 cents. This one's titled Massacre, because, as you know, we're in the Mutant Massacre, or maybe. Spoilers. This is one of those covers. Well, I guess it's a, a month of covers for all of the Marvel comics that features a portrait of a character surrounded by a whole bunch of Marvel superheroes. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know. I, okay, so let me back up a second. It's got Wolverine. Half of his cowl is missing. He's got his claws drawn. He's got his teeth gritted. Uh, it is a good Wolverine cover. Really? I feel like it's phoned in. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I never really, I don't, I never really liked this whole border concept. I did. I thought it was cool. Uh, I remember, I don't know, I, I guess I just like consistency and continuity <laughs> among things. And they did it in comics like Gru that I was reading. Yeah. And G.I. Joe had snake eyes in the middle. Yeah. It, and even like uh, Elf in Star Comics did, had this treatment, yeah. which I thought was neat. They did it for the entire run that month. And and maybe why you feel like this cover or this picture of Wolverine is phoned in is because they needed to do somebody. So they did Wolverine, of course. And, uh, you know, what else are you going to do with Wolverine but, you know, have him beat up with his claws sticking out? I don't know what it is that I don't like about this. It seems like it was not... It seemed, it just seems like it was a rush job. Um, it's it's not a bad drawing by any means, but maybe it's not... It doesn't It doesn't feel like the inks are finished. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. It's a little weak on the, on the inks and, and some of the sh- shadowing and maybe and his, the, the m- color is a little bland as well. His mutton. Yeah. Well, they, they chose a red background for his kind of brownish costume. So it all kind of just blends into one and his, uh, his mutton chop feels unfinished there as well. But, uh, I don't know for what it's it worth. What it is. What's did, they didn't do this for the new universe stuff, right? That was outright. Oh, I, at this, at this time. I, so I, I don't know either of those answers, but I if if new new universe was out at this time, I very much doubt they did this treatment. See, at the at this time, I was not collecting any mainstream superhero comics, so all the Marvel stuff that I was collecting were the weird outskirts stuff. I don't think I was collecting. Hmm, I don't think I was collecting comics at all at this time. Or, I mean, my comic book collecting pre-X-Men was random issues of G.I. Joe and Transformers. So I didn't have, like, a collection. It would just be like we'd be at the store and there'd be, like, two issues and I'd buy them. Or uh, Kmart or Shopco or one of those department stores would have, like, a poly bag thing of, like, four Transformer comics and I'd buy those. They were probably second printings and totally worthless. But that was my, my collection. Who was on the Transformers cover? Because I'm pretty sure I had that. I, I feel like it was Starscream. I don't remember. Which is an interesting choice. You think it's Starscream? Yeah, because I, I don't, I can't, like, I feel like if it was Megatron or Optimus Prime, I would remember what it looked like. I feel like it, well, I don't know, but I... Like, I can picture the Snake Eyes cover in my head. He's got an Uzi, he's holding it up. I can picture that as well. So what month and year is this from? Uh, November 1986, or I guess August of 1986. November 1986. The cover date is November 1986. Um, It is a cover of, it's Megatron. Oh, it is Megatron. (laughs) Yeah, or I think it's Megatron. It's hard to tell. He's got like a purple face and yellow eyes. 
And he's got like the crown thing that, that almost looks like the ambulance guy, but it's not red. But he's definitely evil. <laughs> Ratchet. Ratchet. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain this is Megatron. Okay. Well, I have it. <laughs> go look, but I, uh, I just don't remember. And I, I'm going to just Google up the G.I. Joe one. I, I, that one I definitely remember. Yeah. I, Snake Eyes, Uzi. Oh, yeah. This, it up. this cover's way better than the X-Men one. It's cool. Yeah, Snake Eyes has got a ton of depth. He's got his visor costume on, not his first costume. He's got that Uzi held up in front of his face, grenades on his chest. It's good, yeah. It's a good cover. Uh, you can buy that comic book right now for $6 shipped. G.I. Joe? Yeah. Oh. Issue number 53. Or I could just go into the basement where I keep my comics and dig it up. Was this another Silent But Deadly episode issue? No, they didn't return to that for a while. Okay. I don't know what happened in this issue. Oh, I don't know either. Do you know what issue it is? Because I could probably piece it together by the number. <laughs> it's issue number 53. Okay, so they had just, the Joes had just invaded uh, Cobra Island and they managed, they got kicked off and Destro managed to get the Baroness back. Oh, no, wait, am I jumping too far ahead? I, I might be. Uh, I think I'm jumping ahead to 75. Looks like the issue is called Pitfall. Uh, I think I think this might be the one where uh, Snake Eyes and Scarlet go missing because they they appear to step on a landmine and Flint and Lady J freak out. Oh my God! It says that the terrorist army of Cobra has seized the pit dash headquarters of the Joes. No, well, I'm totally wrong. There. <laughs> I have no idea. I think maybe you're thinking of issue number sixty three, which has a cover of Snake Eyes and Scarlet. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. Oh, and number 52 is the cover of uh, Storm Shadow Fighting Quick Kick. Okay. 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 So 50, 50 is where Serpenter shows up. Could be. 51 has the Dreadnoughts uh, on a tank on the cover. And 50 is a double-sized issue. Yeah, could be. And then that issue that issue with Quick Kick was awesome because I remember like Quick Kick, uh, well, Storm Shadow invades and everybody's like, ah, you're, he goes into the pit and everybody's like, hey, you're Storm Shadow. We got to fight you. And everybody fights him and he bests Quick Kick and Scarlet and everybody. And then Storm uh, Snake Eyes shows up and they're just like, they chill out and they're just like, I never came here to fight anybody, you jerks. <laughs> and they like hug. Ooh. <laughs> And then issue number 55 is Unmaskings. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a classic one. Yeah, it's totally misleading because no, nobody's unmasked. So what issue of G.I. Joe are we covering today? <laughs> well, uh, we could do issue number 38 where Destro's pointing a gun at Storm Shadow. That looks like a badass cover. I don't know if I have that one. <laughs> it's a really good cover. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. Uh, maybe we should just cover some X-Men. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, this, this one is, in fact, called Massacre. It's written by Chris Claremont, John Romita Jr., and Brett uh, Blevins are doing the art. Al Williamson's the inker, Tom Orzakowski's the letter, Glynis Oliver is the colorist, and Nascenti's the editor, and Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. Chuff. Yeah, chuff. And, uh, or is he the editor-in-chef? <laughs> <laughs> does, he, does he cook for the Marvel bullpen? He just edits the chef. Edits the, the chef. Oh, you can't serve a salad with that soup. <laughs> it's wrong. What are you thinking? You put a sandwich well, that, with the soup. Even the Care Bears issue did this treatment. That's that's actually pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so the first page spread, we are introduced to the Marauders, uh, and most notably Scalp Hunter. None of the other 
people get a name. I like, or I don't know how I feel, I guess, about how Skelp Helper, Skelp, Skelp Helper, Skelp Hunter's first line is, Hi there! <laughs> Hi there, everybody. I'm Skelp Hunter. <laughs> We're the Marauders. We kill mutants. Who's next? Yeah. Uh, classic Claremontian dialogue there. We As- kill mutants. Who's next? As we go through this, this whole mutant massacre, there's a, there's a couple of things I want to know. First of all, are these Do they guys... relate to the comic, or is this like? <laughs> well, yeah. First of all, Adam, how are you feeling? Um, I've had better days. <laughs> okay. Uh, and second of all, um, are these fellow uh, marauders? Are they mutants? I think so. Yes. And the second question is, why are they doing all of this? Hopefully, that's that's revealed uh, throughout the story of this. Yes, it is. I've, I... I've I've read ahead, um, and I don't I don't know. If it's ever fully explained, but there there is uh, there is some we learn we learn who ordered them to do this stuff. I yeah I, I recall that, but I don't really recall why. Yeah, I don't know if that's ever explained. Okay, well, the Marauders show up. They 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 threaten a group of Morlocks. I believe we don't know any of these Morlocks, so they're just they're just fodder, and they are. That's uh, is that that's not Sunder. I the big guy? I don't think so. Okay. It could be, but... Although he does have a weird kind of uh, stutter. What you talking, man? This some kind of ha-ha, hey? Yeah. He's got gold armbands. There's one guy that kind of looks like he's Tar Baby, but he's not, because he's not all black and, well, spoilers, Tar Baby lives. <laughs> but these guys don't. They are... They are zapped they're killed uh by scalp hunter i believe this yeah they all die and this is essentially a uh a way to show what the marauders powers are uh we get scalp hunter is a guy who shoots stuff i don't know if he's a mutant but he's wearing basically armaments and he can assemble these armaments to any form of gun he would like so as he's talking to these Morlocks, he's assembling a gun, and then he kills them with it. All right, I'm going on the record. I don't like Mutant Massacre. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's 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 one of my least favorite things about this run of the X-Men. Huh. Now, um, I hate all their costumes. There's not a single costume I like. Um, maybe maybe the tornado guy or girl. Well, this person, I I believe it's a guy, but but this person does have long hair. Riptide. Uh, Riptide is this person's he says i'm a man of skills and grace so he's a dude okay um oh but he's quoting the rolling stones how clever yeah that's a good point is that a lyric in in this song please allow me to introduce myself i'm a man of skills and grace and then riptide by name riptide by name that that's not a that's not a stones lyric uh i i they might have changed i'm a man of skills and grace to something else i don't know uh arc light is probably the only costume i care for which one is arc light she's the one with like a silver bodysuit oh okay she got purple hair but uh this, this harpoon, he's got a terrible suit. Um, a scrambler, he doesn't have a costume. And Riptide, I don't know what Riptide looks like when Riptide's not s- spinning. And then and then there's the ghost woman, who I can't remember her name. We'll find out, though. Scalp Hunter, I just, I really don't, I don't know, I don't know what's going on here. It, it doesn't seem like a very comfortable um, outfit. I'm a man of wealth and taste. Yeah, okay, sure. So Riptide is riffing. Yeah. So Riptide spins around in a cyclone and... Uh, shoots little stars. Now, basically, what we've seen are two people who are doing non-mutant things. Scalp Hunter makes guns and shoots people. 
this person spins out little stars. So you don't think his at least the spinny part is a mutant power? It's the Marvel universe. Like he could have like the Riptide spinny suit that he stole from Stark Industries. Yeah, we don't we don't know though. What I want to know is like does he have to go recollect all of these stars yeah. after he throws them out? Where do all these stars come from? And they're super, there's like a lot of them and they're super deadly. And they say he releases razor keen stars and spikes from his outstretched hands. So he's like holding on to these things and then he spins and he lets them go. Yeah. And apparently he's got really good aim too. Just, just lots of pockets. I don't think it's so much the aim. I think it's just the volume of stars that go flying out. That... It has to be the aim, too, because he throws them all at the Morlocks. Well, that's none true. Of the, none of the Marauders get hit. They're like, hey, watch it, Riptide. Well, they all stand behind him. So he knows enough to, like, shoot them out, like, in front of him. So he can go one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. He could probably go 360 okay. if he wanted to, but he doesn't have that many stars. Uh, so these random Morlocks are, are all taken out. Uh, there's a big guy, though, who has a power of invulnerability. This is where we learn what Scalp Hunter's power, or, I'm um, sorry, Scrambler's powers are. He is, he scrambles mutant power. So he'll touch you and whatever mutant power you have either goes away uh, or, well, I guess it just goes away. And Scrambler is the worst offender in the costume department. It's like John Romita didn't even care. <laughs> it's He's got pants, a t-shirt, and then like uh, a dress shirt. And it, then it like a... looks like a guy or girl or... I don't know. It's who cares. It's got like a bandolier without any ammo on it. It's just like a, a belt that he's wearing wrong. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so as he touches the big Morlock who was invulnerable, uh, he is hit with a whole bunch of stars. And then you got a good point here. So as Scrambler's touching this guy, he doesn't get hit with any of the stars. Only the mutant does for the Mor uh, the Morlock. And then uh, and those, those were stars that were still flying. <laughs> and then uh, they're they're boomerang stars. <laughs> And then uh, uh, Scalp Hunter steps forward and blows him away. And so now we've got, like, four dead Morlocks. It's real. Yep, this 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 is real. Is what I feel like Chris Claremont wants me to be going. Yeah, well, hey, we're not messing around here. You know how when the mutants fight in the past and a couple of people get knocked unconscious and then the bad guys get away? Not here. These guys are... These guys are serious. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, unless you're the main character, you're apparently now up for grabs. So one of the Morlocks gets away and he's running down the alley screaming for Callisto, screaming for help. Uh, somebody's trying to kill us, trying to kill us all. And uh, well, Scalp Hunter's like, let them yell. We want them to know that we're here so we don't have to hunt them. And this is apparently Sibel. Uh, so the Harpoon, which is another... Well, actually, first, uh, as we introduce the powers, Arc Light is commanded to knock down the wall. So she's got like some, I don't know, thunderous fists or something. Oh, yeah. She's like super strength or something like yeah, that. So that's her power. So she knocks down the wall. The wall goes uh, into the Morlock that was shouting for Callisto. So he's probably dead. I feel like the paneling, the pacing of this issue is not... Great. Actually, she's not dead. She, she falls to her face, and then Scalp Hunter orders Harpoon, whose power is to take harpoons from his uh, quiver and throw them at people. He's essentially Harpoon Gambit. <laughs> Does he energize the harpoons? He must. Yeah, the harpoon in, in the, is, is metal in the Inuit's hand, transmuted to raw energy the instant he throws it. Ah, okay. So he's, he's Harpoon Gambit. Got it. Harpoon hits this uh, this Morlock, and the Morlock is, like, sizzled out and dead. And yes, that, that person's name was Sybil, uh, as Callisto calls out. I don't think we've met Sybil before. So the, the entire 
story of Sybil has been told in these three panels. Yes. <laughs> you were saying something about pacing. Oh yeah, the the I have like in reading this issue, I skip around like I I jump ahead a lot, and I don't like normally when I'm reading a comic book, I try to take in the panels and figure out what's going on. I have real trouble with this issue, and I don't know if it's it's going to continue, but like it doesn't flow the way that I'm used to a comic book flowing to it. It just feels kind of, and, and, and all of this is part of my dislike for this arc. Hmm. I've never had a problem with this arc. I can think of other arcs that I've, I've disliked far more than this arc. And maybe it, part of it is like, it's, it's one of the first, well, it's the first major X-Men arc and, and so many things change because of it. I don't feel like they change because of it. I feel like it's like shoving change down your throat. Hmm. And that's another part of my problem. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's a tonal shift. Like, things are dark now. Whoa. Well, we've been talking about it. And I, I mean, ever since issue 204, I think it's been hinted. Oh, no. And I, and I, and I, and I like the hint. Uh, in fact, I, I like the hint. But this feels like, uh, what do we do to make this a more serious comic? Oh. Let's kill all the Morlocks. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It, j- it just feels, uh, it doesn't feel earned or it feels kind of cheesy or, I don't know. This is all my personal stuff. Okay. So uh, now it is Vertigo's turn to show what she can do. And she's got the power to kind of twist people inside out, I guess. We've met Vertigo before. Yeah. She was in that four-part uh, Angel Marvel Age or Marvel Fanfare. That was a while series. ago. Yeah, it was it was it was it was uh quite a while ago. But she yeah, she she can she can make people sick, she can make people lose their balance. She just she causes vertigo in in people around her. So she's been pulled out of the was she in the Savage Land? Is that what I'm remembering? Oh, yeah, that sounds familiar actually. I, I don't remember specifically though. Let's no. see let's say Savage Land. That's fine. Oh yeah, she is I'm looking her up. She is one of the Savage Land mutates. Her first appearance was Marvel Fanfare 1. So yeah, she was in that four-part series with Angel. Was Magneto in that series? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, this is the one where Spider-Man goes to the Savage Land. Oh, yes, yes. Hangs out with Angel. And then in the last two parts, uh, well, Spider-Man turns into a giant spider. Yeah. And then the X-Men show up to help out and argue with Angel a lot. Yeah. Uh, Kesar is there, of course. And there are Savage Land mutates. Um, that may have been in the previous uh, Magneto arc that you are thinking of. Okay. So Vertigo gives them all Vertigo. Arc Light, uh, she pounds the ground, knocking all the Morlocks over. It's a one-two punch. Heck yeah. Beyond the Bend, though, Piper, who is a guy that we, I believe, have met before. So I did some, I tried to figure out if Piper was the guy from the um, from the Neil Adams run, yeah. also from the Savage Land. Oh, okay. Way back when. Yeah. Um, apparently not. Okay. Uh, it's hard, hard to tell how many, I mean, they both have the same powers. They play pipes. So I think they're the same guys, but, uh, apparently that Piper comes back later and, uh, well, we'll see what happens to this Piper. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So this Piper, he plays a flute and controls animals. So he is amassing a horde of bats and alligators. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think these guys play a part in the story. <laughs> like, I think this, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think this happens. And like, we never find out what happens with the alligators and the bats. 
Um, it, it says that he hurls them into the fray, and we see the bats flying towards at least Scalp Hunter and Arclight's feet, but then we change our focus to Westchester. I believe... Okay, I, th- I think they do come back into play, but okay. uh, I could be wrong. Hopefully I'll remember when we get there. Uh, this version of Piper, I think we also met in um, um, Power Pack. Yes, he would have been one of the dudes that uh, uh, kidnapped the Power Kids. Right, he was in the the issue with uh, Power Pack 12 with Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler. So at Westchester, uh, everybody's kind of recuperating from the recent events. We got we've got Danny Moonstar taking care of Brightwind, her her Pegasus horse. Wolverine is kind of down and out, but he wants to lend a hand. So apparently, there's been some hay baling that's been needed to be done because apparently they live on a farm now. <laughs> Uh, so he's trying to help out. He's got his pitchfork, and Colossus is like, we've got this, Wolverine. You are supposed to be in bed. Apparently Wolverine's healing factor is not working as quickly as it normally does, or normally should. See, right, and this is uh, hmm, this is the Wolverine that we started with, uh, who is, has a healing factor, but isn't like the super healing factor that it becomes, right? So he was beat up by Rachel, then by the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, then by Nimrod, and so... He's healed more than a normal person should, but he should still be taking it easy, and he's not. Even Colossus says he has recovered from worse injuries far faster than this rogue. Hmm. I fear something is very wrong with him. So there, there's the implication that something has changed. Whether or not there's payoff for this, I don't know. I don't recall. Maybe. We'll keep reading if you keep listening. Yeah, so he... He cuts a perfectly good rake into, like, four pieces, which I don't agree with. Not very nice. <laughs> no. Because he's all mad. Like, you won't let me help, so I'm going to cut this rake. I'm going going back to the mansion. Rake! <laughs> Meanwhile, Kitty, she's, she's raiding the fridge for some study snacks and Magneto. He's not very happy that she's got an entire six-pack of soda pop. Magneto just kind of comes off as a jerk. Yeah. I'm... I'm doing the uh, Professor X jerk roll right now, and I think you're drinking too much soda. Yes. We don't have a dental plan, Kitty. If you are thirsty, drink water. I'm running on empty! Well, fine. Then take it. But don't make a habit of it. Professor Xavier's is school, and I've got a paper to write. Who's teaching her, by the way? Is it Magneto? Is Magneto teaching all of the classes? Yes. This is the one thing I, they 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 start explaining much later in the future is that there are actually instructors <clears throat> at the school. But in I these... think at this point everybody is self-taught. Okay. Um, there are no classes, but there are still papers. Who's, yeah, who's assigning her papers? Is she? Did she assign herself a paper? I think there's like you know uh, pr- the professor set up a whole curriculum. Oh, okay. Uh, that she has to go through for a uh, a, a particular series of time. Okay. And uh, things that she has to do. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. And it's it's very flexible. Like she can she can choose to write papers or, you know, maybe create some sort of uh, diorama, physical art project or something like that. Depending on you know, it, it's it's flexible enough to allow her to uh, pursue her own talents. Okay. So uh, there's there's deadlines and such, but there's not explicit instructions on how one must get their work. Just that one must get their work done and. 
So, so then do you think Magneto's only role here is just to grade the work? Or do you think it's self-graded too? Uh, no, I don't think... Well, no, that's an interesting... <laughs> maybe it is self-graded. Maybe the danger room grades it. Maybe that's what Lockheed does. That's right. Professor Lockheed. Uh, no, I, I was assuming that uh, Magneto reads the papers and grades them okay. as part of his role. And he's also training the new mutants to fight better. <laughs> okay. Well, she brings up all the snacks to Ilyana, and, uh, you know, they're they're about to have a snack. Lockheed's there. Uh, on the poster, it says, like, is it, who is it? It says Tracy and Hep. Hepburn. Hepburn, but who's Tracy? Like, uh, Oh, you're going to make me question my film knowledge? Yeah. Uh, I feel like Tracy and Hepburn were one of those uh, 40s or 50s. Uh, well, uh, Hepburn is obviously... Uh, Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. But who's and Tracy? Like Tracy a, is uh, like another a famous actor of that time period. Yeah, whose name we can't remember. The only Tracy I can come up with is Dick Tracy. And um, Dick Tracy is fictional. <laughs> right. Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy. And it's okay. Catherine Hepburn, not Audrey Hepburn. Well, there's an Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, there is an Audrey Hepburn, and okay. she's related to Catherine Hepburn. But okay. this is going back further than that. Gotcha. Uh, this is this is Tracy and Hepburn. So this is going back to the the black and white era of the the 40s and the 50s. Uh, when they were like a, I want to say they were a comedy team, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe they're a dramatic team. But you know how, um, uh, who, who, who's the famous uh, dancing pair uh, in the in the black and white movies? Um, Fred Astaire and yeah, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Okay. They're like that, okay, but not dancers. Are you sure this isn't uh, Tracy Morgan? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Tr- Tracy Morgan is a modern actor. Oh. It'd be awesome if there was just like a like a picture of four year old Tracy Morgan here, because that's probably how old he would be in this picture. Uh, you might not. Oh, yeah, I guess he's he's probably a little. Nah, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's switch our attention to Wolverine heading back to the mansion to pout a little bit, and Nightcrawler he teleports in and goes step right. As a big a big on the sir, he's thinks he's gonna do a awesome bamf, and then he keels over into Wolverine's out extended arms and collapses. Thought I was well enough to teleport. He thought wrong, bub. We are some pair, yeah, so bashed and battered. We're pretty much useless. So this is probably why the last two episodes that we did take place a little bit before right. this. We had, we had to get Nightcrawler back, a la last issue, and it had to be before the end of the events of this issue. So it's really the only place that the, the New Mutants and X-Men Annual 10 could occur. Even though, spoilers, no night, uh, no long shot in, in Mutant Yeah, night, sh- uh, long, night shot. <laughs> long shot doesn't appear for a while. Um, there, there, is a, there is a limited series that we will throw into the mix coming up really? where he does appear. Hmm. Um to no real effect. Oh. And I'm I'm not sure that that's going to go over perfectly well either <laughs> as far as continuity goes. See, I feel like Longshot's like, yeah, man, I'll join your outfit, but I got a few loose ends I got to clean up. Could be. So he's, he's off on a solo mission that just never got documented. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely not here, so. <laughs> Nightcrawler suggests that they go down to the bar and drink some brewskis to drown their sorrows. Who's buying? But then the ground rumbles and rattles and out comes, I don't know what this is. Is this a... Giant purple Morlock. It's a giant purple Morlock that has like a yak face. Uh, what are the cloven hooves? 
It's yak face. It's it's giant yak face. Like he's the size of six or ten wolverines. But I don't know if this is like a shapeshifter who just decided to shapeshift into a giant earth boring creature. Or if this could is be. actually like my mutant power is to be a giant purple goat thing. It could be. <laughs> Anyways, it doesn't matter because he's dead. <laughs> it doesn't because he pops out and he's like, X-Men, help us. They're killing us all. Morlocks die. And then he dies. And then the poor X-Men, they drag him into the infirmary and uh, cover him up with a blanket. And apparently uh, they have a staffed nurse here. Yes. This is uh, Sharon from um, New Mutants. Ah, OK. Is that Sh- Sharon Friedlander? No. Oh. That is a musician who probably is not born yet. Really? Are you yeah. sure? Sharon Friedlander? I'm pretty sure there's a Sharon Friedlander in the Marvel Universe. Oh, there. I suppose there could be. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> but I think that's really a musician. Huh? Could be. Man, you are sending me to the Google today. <laughs> the Google machine is getting a lot of uh, attention here. I'm Googling it. Sharon Freed Lander. Oh, yep. There is a fictional character appearing in American comic books published by Marvel. And she's wearing an X-Men costume. Yeah. No. So who did I think Sharon <laughs> Friedlander was? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, that is, this is Sharon Friedlander. Oh, yeah. Good call. Who knows their X-Men's? Uh, you do. <laughs> That's right. Uh, anyways, yeah, so she's there. What the am I thinking of? And she gives the, I have no idea. Um... Uh, multiple blade, gunshot wounds, massive internal trauma, pulverized bone. It's a miracle. He reached us. And this is where also we're tying into the end of X-Men annual number 10. Uh, Psylocke is here. Yes. Yeah, this is uh, one more reason why we had to get that other story in. She's, otherwise, she'd be there and we'd be like, oh. wait, what? She's she's only here for two panels, but she's definitely here. Uh, and she... She says that in in the dying memory of the Morlock, she saw a cadre of super beings massacring every living thing among the Morlock tunnels. Magneto throws in a uh, little World War II reference. Horrors, the childhood uh, of my childhood, born again, only this time it's mutants instead of Jews. Yeah, the Kuthkarman does a thing with uh, Betsy Ruddock where every time she appears in the first few issues that she's in, he describes her as her name is... Betsy Braddock, called Psylocke. Yeah, I mean, it's like, well... Be- well, it's, it's what you do. It makes sense here. It starts making less sense three issues, like, after this. You know what's weird? When I Googled Sharon Friedlander, I get, on, like, the third row down, fourth row, fifth, fourth row down, I get, a like, a portrait of Piper. Really? And then you click on it, and it references X-Men 211, but that, that's weird how the Googles made that connection. And it's a portrait of uh, Piper that's not even in this issue, which is... Well, this is the first appearance of Sharon Friedlander in X-Men. Oh. oh. She's only been in New Mutants prior to this. There you go. Wolverine wants to know if they're going to be involved, and Storm's like, I lead the Morlocks, so yep. And Magneto, you should probably stay back here and take care of the New Mutants. We might not make it back. So presumably, the uh, Betsy has given the X-Men a full detail of what she saw in the mind of Giant Purple Guy. Yes. So they should be ready. Yep. Uh, Magneto really wants to come along, but I guess he kind of understands, maybe. I don't know why. I, I would think he would be very useful. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Blades, guns, lots of metal things. Why don't you just send Magneto to, like, make a big magnetic, like, repulsing bubble around the Morlocks? Maybe this is their way of getting around the Magneto's too powerful problem. Yeah, well, clearly. (laughs) 
Uh, Ileana teleports, and I bet you, and I haven't read the New Mutants. Don't the New Mutants have a couple of issues? At least one. Um, I bet you Magneto doesn't even accompany the New Mutants. No, he I, he definitely doesn't. Okay. Um, he's in them, but he's mostly brooding about stuff. Okay, I haven't read those New Mutants issues, so that'll be a surprise to me. Well, it's actually not, not a surprise that Magneto doesn't fight alongside, because he just win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Ileana teleports the X-Men to the um, alley and I guess we do actually see an alligator and I think Piper is dead yes <laughs> so, and and uh, and this is not the f- we will see we will see alligators throughout this issue okay or maybe not at least by the end we'll see have seen a few of them and I even feel like in the mutant massacre alligators as as well, I guess well, maybe we don't see any more alligators in this year, but I feel like there's more alligators in this series. Well, we will keep our eyes open, and we'll have to thank Piper for that uh, thinking ahead. We will probably forget. But you, dear listener, keep your eyes open. <laughs> or your well, ears I mean, open. If you're reading along with us. If you're not, just imagine bodies of alligators everywhere. Mm-hmm. Bodies so of, many bodies of alligators. Bodies of Morlocks, too. All of these Morlocks that were with Callisto are dead. Except for Callisto. She's fine. I mean, she's she's wounded, but she's fine. She is wounded, yeah. but she lives. Yep. Um, so Colossus she, goes to search for more survivors, uh, leaving Kitty and... Uh, he tells Kitty and Ilyana to stay with Storm. Like, duh. <laughs> and Wolverine smells or senses trouble and that's when vertigo strikes and all of the x-men kind of go flying somebody's upside down and not only that but uh riptide also appears and starts launching stars at the x-men but they bounce off of colossus and rogue and uh i don't know what nightcrawler is doing but it's like he's hanging on to wolverine (laughs) he's crouching for cover i can't teleport will you hold me i don't i shouldn't be here but i am I feel like I'm only here to serve one plot device. There, I, I do like uh, the the one thing that I like about the Marauders is that at least in this issue, um, when they're first introduced, they they use a lot of teamwork. Oh yeah, uh, I think that goes away very quickly. Rogue is disappointed that the stars are ruining her costume, but Wolverine's like he's just batting them away with his claw uh, with his claws. Try my way, darling. Don't let them touch you. That's when Nightcrawler finally springs into action, and he. He teleports over to Riptide, kicking him in the face, and then teleports over to Vertigo, and then does his teleporting all over the place trick. And uh, oh, there is a, there is a reference to Marvel fanfare three and four here. Mm-hmm. Of these X Men, Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine have fought Vertigo before. So As that, a result, they're better able to resist her attack. Okay, sure. They they know what to expect, I guess. Storm ducks behind Colossus. <laughs> this way, I As won't you do. Yeah. This way I won't get sick from Vertigo. <laughs> Nightcrawler does the, the tele- teleport trick. Wolverine's like, hey, be careful. And then when Nightcrawler lands, he's like, ah, oh, that dealt with Vertigo very nearly me as well. And he's... The Riptide is sneaking up behind him and he's all, Kurt doesn't realize it, but Wolverine does and he shouts, Nightcrawler, port out of there now! But he can't. He has a split second to save himself, but the stunt with Vertigo pushed his body and power beyond his limits. He tries to teleport, but nothing happens, and then it's too late. Riptide grabs Vertigo, and they they cyclone out of there, and Nightcrawler is left laying on the ground. So what does Riptide do to Nightcrawler? Well, here's my theory. Um, <laughs> Nightcrawler was so worn out by all of the teleporting 
that whatever Riptide did to him pushed him over the edge. Well, definitely it did, as <laughs> as we'll find out. But I mean, I don't see any like of his his blades or his spikes or any of that stuff. He basically just got Tasmanian deviled. Yeah, and in the Tasmanian devil spiral, let's just say he got punched in the head like 27 times. All right, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) And with, you know, the thing, with with as much as the power took out of him and those punches, like, he's done for. He's he's out. And, And there's blood, too. There's blood all over the place. So apparently... Riptide also drew some blood off of Nightcrawler. There's blood on Nightcrawler? I don't know. It says, oh, Storm, he's cut all over. There's so much blood. Oh, okay. We don't so we s- don't see it. We're told it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so he must have used his stars and spikes. Yeah. He was just like shiving him. And I guess, uh, let's see, find me a cloth, something, anything to use as temporary bandages. Okay, so... Storm is trying to patch up Wolver, or I mean Nightcrawler. Should have been faster. Should have made certain Riptide was KO'd. I've got the creep scent. He can run, but never hide. I'm Wolverine. <laughs> um, Storm owes uh, orders Ilyana to teleport the wounded home to the mansion. I'll take him right to the infirmary. You want me to come back with reinforcements? No, no she yells. <laughs> this is a killing brown and. You're, this is a killing ground and no place for new mutants. These lives depend on you. Get out of here. Well, maybe that ties in with what happened at the end of X-Men Annual Number 10 when uh, Storm was like, they're not ready, the new mutants. They're kids. Remember? There was something along those lines. Well, that was written after this, so maybe. <laughs> oh, maybe that was just written in there to tie this together. Who knows? So apparently the wounded are Nightcrawler and Piper. I was wrong. Piper is not dead. He's he's just wounded. Piper is holding on to Nightcrawler, which is very nice. I'm assuming she takes Oh, no, she doesn't take Callisto back, too. Callisto's okay. Callisto is wounded, but not that wounded. Eliana also thinks to herself, maybe I better corral Dr. McTaggart from Scotland as well. Yeah. Um, this is important. Okay. Um, Good luck, X-Men. We won't be the ones who need it, kid. Your clothes are ruined, Rogue. Take my vest. I'm obliged. We will deal with the mar- marauders. So now it's time to get real. They got they got jumped, uh, but they're not going to let that happen again. This vest is very important in a few issues. Is it? It's it's, it's Aurora's Morlock leader vest. Ah, uh, yes. Um, Scalp Hunter, meanwhile, finds a little hut of Morlocks, and it turns out that it's Anna Lee who is watching over a few kids. And it is revealed here that uh, it was Scalp Hunter who killed her children. Way back when. Yeah, a little convenient here. Uh, they were born. That's enough. Wrong plea, old lady, to the wrong man. Didn't work months ago when I nailed a quartet of Morlock brats on the surface. Won't work now. So, yes, Annalie discovers finally the murderer of her children. In a rare moment of tying off threads. Also, uh, I mean, not that it matters much, but she, she was using her powers of empathy to, to try to calm Scalp Hunter, but he's like, that ain't going to work on me. Because I don't scare easy. And he shoots everybody. He reminds me of Forge. A little bit. He's got a, kind of a Forge look. Like, I feel like if Forge were to make his own costume, it would look like this. Kitty and Colossus are together uh, talking about how well they see your bodies, and then they hear the gunshot. So I guess they're going to go check it out. Uh, Scalp Hunter and Arclight meet up. The job is done. I thought this would be a rougher assignment, says Arclight. Be patient, Arclight. Our day's still young, says uh, Scalp Hunter. Through an image of Colossus's hands holding up a giant rock. 
Where's his head? Yeah, I don't know. It's, <laughs> he's doing like he must be doing. Uh, he's in the the sit up position. Sure. sure. He's leaning. He's leaning back. He throws that rock at Scalp Hunter and Arclight, but uh, Arclight is too quick and and destroys it before it's able to do any damage on them. Watch those rock shards, Ark. The shrapnel's deadly. That's why we wear body armor, mister. It will not save you from Colossus murderers. But Arclight uses her powers to punch Colossus, like, really far away. And Arclight... He's no Morlock, Scalp. We're up against the X-Men. Hot dog! Some real competition. And she slams the side of the wall, causing uh, the tunnel to cave in. Thought they'd be more trouble. Rusky's history along with anyone else in that tunnel section. So I don't, did she, so I guess the tunnel collapsed on top of Colossus? No, I think that she just separated them all. I don't know. How does that finish anybody off? I think she just assumes that Colossus is finished because every bad guy, when they punch somebody, assumes that that person's finished. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kitty calls out for Colossus. Scalp Hunter holds his gun to her head and shoots. But of course she phases and he's like, what are you, a ghost? Which is, this is is probably the coolest moment in the comic for me. Yeah. Worse. A shadow cat. You can't touch me. You can't hurt me. What's? But I can hurt you, she says threateningly. What's interesting or or non-consistent about this is earlier when stars, like ninja stars, were flying everywhere... She's like, oh, these stars aren't doing anything but ruining my costume because she's phased, right? And the stars are going. No, that was Rogue. Was it Rogue? Yeah. Okay. She said, uh, they're not hurting my skin, but they're ruining my costume. Okay. Which is why Storm hands her the vest. All right. Cover yourself. Don't touch me. (laughs) Hide your shame. (laughs) Okay. Well, Scalp Hunter, he also has a sword and he tries to slice Kitty's head off. So, as you mentioned, John Romina Jr. and Brett Blevins share art duty uh, on this one. I think it is at at this point Brett Blevins has clearly taken over. You don't like the art back here on the back half? I guess you're right. Yeah, it is. I I didn't say I I didn't like it. I just said it's different. Drastically different. Yeah, you're right. It's it's some of it's okay. Uh, This panel of Wolverine and and Rogue and Callisto and Storm running is pretty terrible. But there's (laughs) other stuff that I like. Uh, she says she can phase you into the ground. You'd be maimed if you're lucky dead, but my teammates come first. Then it'll be your turn. She thinks to herself, who am I kidding? Talking nasty is easy. I just pretend I'm Wolverine, but it's just pretend. They deserve killing, but I can't do it. Does that make me a coward? Life is so wonderful. So precious. Why should anybody want to end it? Spare these two. They'll kill again. I know. Killing them first is right. It's justifiable, but I can't. That's a lot of thinking, Kitty did. She's, yep. So yes, the terrible panel you were talking about, um, the X-Men are with Callisto and a big dude who this guy might be Sunder. Maybe that's Sunder. Yep. And they are heading back into the alley, probably to find survivors maybe, or to find some marauders to kill. I don't know. One of the two. I think they're heading back to the X-Men. No, I don't know. Maybe they found some, a new group of... Where did all these Morlocks come from? Yeah. All these Morlocks are wounded. Wolverine, some cannot travel any faster, is the way clear, seems to be. So I guess they're maybe trying to make an escape. The other X-Men lead a pitifully small band of Morlock survivors towards the tunnel connecting their domain with the X-Men's... Yeah, so they're 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 making their way right. out of the tunnels. They found some more survivors. 
Uh, and that's when Wolverine's like lots of, he thinks to himself, because nobody in the Marvel Universe talks to each other when something of importance <laughs> happens. But he's like, lots of familiar sense all of a sudden. What the devil are they doing down here? And one of them, oh, this is crazy. I'm crazy. It can't be. And this will happen again <laughs> with more specific names attached. And then Except we, for one, right. the important one. And then we hear uh, a an, an totally unfamiliar noise. Zramp. <laughs> Zit. <laughs> right. Zit. Everyone's like, oh my God, Cyclops is over there. Zramp. Everyone's like, I don't know what. what? Uh, Wolverine takes Rogue's head and knocks it out of the way of the- Storm's head. Storm's head. Yep. Sorry. Out of the way of the optic blast, which, which we get confirmation of. Optic blast? Yup, sensed its pressure wave a split second before the beam itself. Cyclops? And Angel, and the Beast, all the original X-Men. What? Plus somebody else who I'm not going to mention. <laughs> all of the original X-Men? Like, all of them? How come you only named two of them? <laughs> Let's go ask them why they're here. Is Iceman not here because you didn't say him? <laughs> and, and since you didn't say him, you're all of the originals doesn't make any sense. He just got tired of talking. <laughs> it's not important it's like, for me to tell you the I'm rest. I'm going to list them all. Uh, I'm just going to say all the X-Men. <laughs> Anyways, uh, before they're able to go and talk to the original X-Men, the cave um, caves in. Which is funny because like this, uh, Wolverine had the best idea in the world, which was let's go ask them. Yes, that is pretty uncharacteristic. Um, is it Arclight? This is her style. Yeah. That's when Colossus says she's not the only powerhouse present rogue. I guess he's talking about himself. Did he do this? Yeah, he he burst open okay. the uh, tunnel, thereby collapsing the tunnel where they're at. Because um, I think there is a Morlock named Powerhouse or something like that. Or oh, maybe. Blockbuster is his name, but we don't oh, see Oh, yeah, him there's Blockbuster. Yeah. He, his, his mutant power is to check out videotapes and not rewind them before returning them. That's a joke that <laughs> millennials might not get. That one's not going to land, but what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> you don't rewind DVDs. <laughs> Wait, what's a DVD? Never mind. Anyways, okay, so uh, Colossus shows up with Shadow Cat and Annalie and, and some kids. Um, Annalie is dying, but apparently in, in her last gesture, she was like apparently scalp hunter is not very good at his job because Annalie scalp hunter is the worst. <laughs> he, he was, she was able to jump in front of the blast. He only shot once by the way. Uh, and the kids are all fine and she's dying. So, so I mean, good on her, but scalp hunter, come on. Aren't you getting paid for this gig? And that's when, uh, Annalie reveals to Callisto that scalp hunter was the one who murdered her babies. And that's when she, does she die? Maybe she, I don't know. I think she dies. Yeah. And she dies. He was the one who murdered my babies. Said so. Boasted. How could anybody be so? And then you get that little star like. To <laughs> <laughs> some dear old duffer that comes naturally is not something you say to somebody having their last, <laughs> their last dying words. words. Yeah. Sorry, my old friend. I will avenge you. Might be a little bit better or. Or go into that Peaceful darkness. I will hold your hand. Right. You, you've you earned this sleep that you were about to. Yeah. Something something then old Duffer. <laughs> okay, Duffer. And that's when I think Harpoon says true words were my dear disfigured darlings were never spoke. Uh, and that's... Uh, we and he fires a harpoon with the... Uh, 
with, with like uh, with the element of surprise, he throws a harpoon right in the middle of everybody hitting nobody. Right. He's good at well, his job. Well, you know, maybe he The hit, Marauders suck. <laughs> maybe he hit Anna Lee and totally vaporized her. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll take out the one that's dying or already <laughs> dead. dead. Right. So it's Harpoon, Riptide, and Scrambler come running towards them. And uh, Scrambler, no, uh, Harpoon uses Harpoon on Wolverine. Because Scrambler says, Wolverine is our deadliest foe. Harpoon, send him to join his ancestors. Totally meaningless sentence there. (laughs) How do they know Wolverine is our deadliest foe? They read the files. (laughs) Oh, okay. They were prepped. So Wolverine draws blood from Harpoon. The two of them clash. It's a little anticlimactic. I mean, you see like, yeah, they, they both swing and strike at the same time. And then they cut away to like a real far away shot. And you don't. With the caption that says, both men fall. Only one screams. Neither dies. But that can quickly change. Wolverine gets a haircut. <laughs> right. I don't know what the haircut bit is for. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Makes no sense at all. Scrambler, who who has read some old files, is like, My touch will neutralize your weather power, Wind Witch. To which Aurora reveals the fact that she has none. And, and it's, it's a Scrambler, boy or a girl? Don't know. I think he's a um, dude, but I, I can see but what Callisto calls at. him King of the Mountains, so I'm going to go say it's a dude. So she punches him in the face, and he goes stumbling towards Callisto, and I, I do actually like this picture of of Callisto. She's got her legs outspread, her clothes are all torn. She's like winding up her right hand just to go in for a just huge punch. Callisto breaks ribs as Storm did his jaw, and Scrambler spits teeth, coughs blood. I don't know why uh, Aurora had to tell Scrambler. It would have been nice if there was no word panel, and it just cuts from him taking away her powers or to uh, uh, just her sacking him. Yeah. Seems unnecessary, but, you know, it, th- these these are comic books for kids. Yeah. It's a good panel of Storm punching him. Oh, yeah. I like it. It's very anime, but. Um, Riptide spins around a whole bunch of stars, and the stars and spikes hum through the air, followed by screams. Many are hit. Rip, uh, too many die. Riptide laughs. Main characters all live. Yes. Nobody who has a name gets hurt. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, Harpoon goes after Colossus, hits him in the chest, and he's like, I'm Colossus. You can't do anything to me. But he's actually like, well, that actually does kind of hurt. Yeah, the Harpoon's Harpoon uh, stabs straight into Colossus, and Colossus thinks to himself, by the white wolf, first time he says with a harpoon through him. Yeah. It is as if I am on fire inside. Scrambler gets up and goes for Rogue uh, as she's about to to go help Colossus. So we get another, uh, their mutant abilities are similar. He disrupts powers. She steals them. In this fateful moment of contact, they both neutralize each other. We've seen it before. It was neat the first time. Meh. <laughs> we we haven't seen Scrambler touch Rogue. We haven't before. seen Scrambler, but we, we've seen this happen to Rogue before where oh. her powers cancel out somebody else's powers right so they're both more or less ko'd um harpoon goes to throw a harpoon at rogue but uh kitty jumps in front she attempts to phase rogue and herself but due to the uh unknown uh, we don't know that yet well in the next page hearing kitty's screams it's like two colossus lunges for a harpoon so the 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 whatever whatever the energy of the harpoon is, it's not something that can be phased through, or that Kitty can phase through, or whatever. 
Well, she, she, so she grabs Rogue. She phases Rogue. Uh, she thinks that the harpoon is going to pass harmlessly through the two of them. Um, and then she screams. And then she screams, yep. Uh, and I believe that the harpoon does actually pass harmlessly through Rogue. Um, so, so Kitty's down. And that's, uh, Colossus so hears Colossus this. freaks out, which, yep. you know, Makes of sense. course. He grabs a uh, Riptide who is, th- where is he getting all these? He's got more stars. He's just pulling more and more stars out of his pocket. So many stars. At this point, Colossus is comically covered in stars. So he's been stabbed in the chest with a harpoon, and now there are stars sticking out of his metal hide. I figure, my robust Russian friend, that my speed and my blades can cut even you down to his eyes. Well, and they're doing a decent job because I don't think we've ever actually... Well, the only thing that's ever actually pierced Colossus, I think, was a brood. Yeah, they're all stuck in his costume. No, I think they're stuck in his metal. Oh, I guess the one's stuck in his head. So that's true. In his head, and then there's this uh, profile picture where there's some stuck in his thigh and his forearms that doesn't have any costume. So these are stuck in him. Uh, he doesn't care, though. He's 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 all adrenaline at this point, and he grabs Riptide, and he's like, We are not friends, Riptide, and you are wrong. And he breaks Riptide's neck. And for some reason, we get an extreme close-up of Destro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this would have worked uh, better if this cracking was actually Riptide's face, because you don't really see anything. It could be so close that you don't have to see, like, the, the gruesomeness. But just like those clenched teeth. Maybe it is Riptide's face and they colored it wrong. I don't think so. Because why would you go from Riptide's medium shot face to Riptide's close-up face and drastically change the facial feature like that? Although the chin is the right size. It's a a hefty chin. But anyways, in a a panel that I really enjoy, it's all silhouetted in black and red. Uh, Harpoon, or not Harpoon, uh, Riptide is dead, um, limp at Colossus's uh, feet, and Colossus turns around with evil eyes and says, Harpoon, make your peace with your god's little man. You are next. And then he says, Where is he? <laughs> well, where did he go? I did all those words for nothing. Oh, I am not good with timing. Yeah, so we go from a really cool panel to a, What? So, uh, Rip, or, um... The harpoon and scrambler have taken off. Fight's apparently over. Rogue thinks to herself, Peter killed Riptide. And if those two hadn't rabbited, he'd have done the same to them. It's what they deserve. But killing's my job. Or Wolvie's. Since when? Since when has Rogue ever killed anybody? (laughs) I've never liked... I mean, is it just because they didn't draw Wolverine in the foreground that they decided to give that line to Rogue? I don't know. Maybe maybe she's just really bad at her job. (laughs) When Aurora, or when Aurora was handing out, like, okay, you and Wolverine are the killers. And Rogue was like, <laughs> oh, <"Aw>, man. <laughs> Maybe when she was a bad guy, she killed people. Well, that's true. Anyways, uh, yeah, Peter's made for gentler things. He's not very good at anything, but... <laughs> but gentler, not so good things. Storm goes to help Kitty up and is surprised when her hands go right through Kitty's armpits. Merciful goddess! Kitty thinks to herself, no, 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 I can't unfaze. And she can't even speak out loud. Nope. I'm concentrating as hard as I can, but nothing's happening. I can't re-solidify my body. Rogue's blaming herself. And that's when Storm says, look, if the X-Men are going to fall, let it be while saving lives. So the plan is get save as many Morlocks as you can and kill as many Marauders as possible. Well, the plan is let's take these guys back to our to our home and then we'll come back. We'll come back later. 
Yeah. Uh, they get on that train. Uh, I think we've seen this train before, the Morlock train. Come on, ride it. Ride it. <laughs> um, let's see. My leadership has led us to a bitter defeat. Um, Wolverine says happens, that happens. Even to the best. I do not like that. Duh. <laughs> Me neither, darling. <laughs> but it's the war that counts, not a single battle. She says, I want you to stay behind. Here in these tunnels, we know nothing of the Marauders. I require a prisoner for interrogation. No problem. What about the rest? One prisoner is sufficient. The remaining Marauders are yours. And you're the team's killer. You and Rogue. I should really be leaving Rogue behind, but I'm not. She needs a new set of clothes. So there you go. Um, Mutant Massacre. X-Men 211. It's on. It just got real. Things happened. To anybody who's not a main character. <laughs> well, I mean, Kitty can't unfaze. Uh, Nightcrawler, something's wrong with him. Some stuff, some stuff happened at him. Yeah. Colossus got crap sticking out of him, which I think plays a role somewhere down the line. This, for me, is the best issue of the Mutant Massacre, and it only goes downhill from here. I I I I am withholding and reserving judgment because I don't I don't really remember. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can say that there are elements of the X Factor issues that I really like. I believe the next issue of X-Men's pretty good. It's like Wolverine and Sabretooth spoilers. Yeah. I, and actually yeah, I, 213 I, I like. That's Psylocke coming into her own. So I think... By 213, I'm, I'm saying we're out of the Mutant Massacre. Oh, no. 213 is part of the Mutant Massacre. I don't think it is. It, it, I mean, it is, this... according, it, it is according to the charts. Yes, according to my trade paperback and every other X-Men literature... So you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> two fourteen is in my collection of Mutant Massacre two, and it's not in the Mutant Massacre Marvel Mutant Massacre map at the back of the book. Is it? Can't even remember what they do in two fourteen. Okay. Awesome stuff. Yeah. I haven't read that far ahead. I'm not sure. I'll take a quick look. You're right. This that issue has nothing to do with the Mutant Massacre. Well, it it okay. It kind of ties in. Well, very loosely. Two ten is not really part of the Mutant Massacre either. It's sort of the setup. For the Mutant Massacre. Right. All right. Fair but enough. But that one's on the map. That one's on the map. Yeah. Okay. Enough of that. Um, <laughs> we got some, some communication. We sure did. This is a note from Jake Ivey. <clears throat> he asks us, when did Chris Claremont lose his way? He recently Mutant Massacre. <laughs> he recently subscribed to Marvel Unlimited and uh, he's never, er, and he's been reading back issues of the Uncanny X-Men and he noticed that something he'd never noticed before that somewhere around storm going punk and the introduction of rogue the stories get really boring. And it feels like Chris Claremont is writing down to the audience. Don't get me wrong. It's not every issue. There's still some good issues and storylines leading up to X-Men number one, but the majority of the issues are almost unreadable. I realized that uh, at this time, the uncanny, uncanny X-Men are hugely possible. Was he just trying to attract newer, older audiences or was he becoming full of himself and making the title more important than it really was? Uh, is this something you have noticed, or did I turn us to a snob when I hit thirty? I'd love to know what you. Well, let's let's, let's start. This is okay. a, a two-parter. Yep. So, um, I, I, well, maybe I'm looking at it through rose-colored glasses, but I kind of see it the other way around, in which uh, the stuff prior to Storm going punk is, in my opinion, very comic booky, which is not a bad thing, right? I mean, it's a comic book. Um. Uh, and then after Storm going punk, or maybe not right after, but but soon after, he starts shifting the book to kind of where we're at, this kind of darker, uh, grittier. 
Right. In the, in the 80s, driven. after Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, right. or whatever it's called, um, the Frank Miller Dark Knight series, everything in all comic books goes dark and gritty. There's even Spider-Man dark and gritty, which makes no sense. Uh, and this, I feel like, is the, the point of the X-Men turning the dark and gritty page. Who did uh, The Killing Joke? Was That, that was, um, was not Frank Miller. Uh uh, Alan Moore. Alan Moore did that. So, and that that was that was out about this time, or maybe a year later. But but yes, there there was a shift certainly over at DC, uh, which I'm guessing Chris Claremont was inspired by, because I don't think he truly apes it. Um, it feels like it's just inspirations of like, hey, let's instead of making this cartoony comic book stuff, let's 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 go. So the Killing Joke comes out in March of 1988. Oh, okay, I'm way off. But uh, <laughs> that is definitely in the vein of all this stuff, too. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, anyways, so uh, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I guess I have a, a certain fondness, and I don't want to spoil too much because we're coming on to some issues that I'd like to talk about uh, in terms of this writing. But if uh, – and I don't want to generalize. But if you're talking about more like the there's there's the line between, like, good guys fighting bad guys – is a bit blurred. Um, I think is true, except for the mutant massacre. That's just good versus evil. <laughs> like, like. But but some of the other issues really aren't about. I don't know, like the earlier issues where the X Men fought Magneto, or the X Men fought the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, or the X Men fought Sentinels. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, I th- I feel like the heart of the issue for me, and 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 I don't think you're turning into a snob, Jake. Um, but I think everybody's different. Yeah, I certainly don't think th- that you're a snob either. I, you, you noticed what you should have noticed. There is definitely a change in. in well, the I, I'm also I'm also wondering like, um, so I've always been like a big Star Wars fan, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was really into it as like a teenager. Mm-hmm. And then I went to film school and I started learning about film and and filmmaking and all this uh, stuff. And I started getting into art films and I started. Getting into uh, the 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 film film as as an art form and film as a uh, as something that can be very different than what I was previously into as film. Now I still like Star Wars, but I would never claim it to be anything more than a money making uh, form of quick entertainment. Oh man, which, is, which isn't to say that I, <laughs> I I like it a lot. I mean, I totally disagree with. I mean, I could give you that that Empire, Return of the Jedi, and everything that came after that was a cash grab. But I truly believe that Star Wars came from a a filmmaker who who had this idea, had the time, had the talent, had the financial backing to to make this movie. Now, no, I absolutely agree with you. I'm not I'm not saying that the original wasn't like that. I'm saying I'm talking about the machine that exists now mainly. Oh, uh, well, yeah, the machine now is is a boardroom of people that that are pumping out content that is uh uh uh, focus grouped to be appealing and it works like i mean all those marvel movies that they come out with now um those are not the vision of a filmmaker creating his or her version or vision uh of of an event but but what i'm saying is that the original star wars let's just completely forget about all the other ones okay it's not a good film 
It's well, okay. It's, but I love it. It's, okay, and, and it's it's super watchable. And we don't. Need but to, it's not a good film. We don't need. Yes, to, yes. George Lucas and, uh, and the casting crew put a lot of heart into it. They they understood what they were doing. They were definitely filmmakers. They were ahead of their time. The special effects are amazing. They tried a whole lot of new things. For that, it'll always be super important. It's a very important film. It's a kids movie. I'm probably missing the point, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so my 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 uh, my point is that something happened to me that I turned into a snob when I hit thirty, essentially about Star Wars. So I'm wondering, Jake Ib, if you're finding different things, and if if the if the problem, well, it doesn't really sound like there's a problem here. No, is 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 more with people growing and and uh, just developing different tastes that's my that's that's my question back to you hmm. a bali serve well uh i i never changed my opinion of star wars <laughs> <laughs> now then um we could probably sit down and watch it and i could probably rattle off a few quips i have about inconsistencies and things that don't make sense uh story-wise, but I think you can do that with everything, can't you? I mean, there's a lot of plot holes in that movie. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to belittle Star Wars. Star Wars is one of the most important films of my life. Adam, um, if I don't convince you that Star Wars is an important and a really good movie, it'll never do well. I will say this. The, <laughs> the script for Star Wars is one of my favorite scripts of all time. Yeah. The movie itself, though, is is... I don't want to get too off topic, but I think that for me, and this is total, this is total, this is way off topic. But for me, like um, between you, you were the one that turned me on to Skywalking. I think it was the book that is the or the annotated scripts rather. Okay, which is a fascinating read, right? The the what the annotated scripts does is it shows you essentially the four drafts that got you from um, Crazy Town movie to Star Wars. Okay, I I've, I don't think I own that, but I have I have read the four scripts. Okay, in in any event, my uh, the whole process of what it took to make that I think is what impresses me, and I take into consideration when I watch that movie, like the the whole ball of wax. Um, if someone was to make that movie today, like Rotten Tomatoes would give it like a two percent, right? It would just be a failure of a movie. So, but that's way off topic. <laughs> I would I would. I, I wonder, Jake Ivey, if the boredom is stemmed from marathoning X-Men comics, because I, a lot of these I don't find boring. There there was a, a section um, somewhere in the, I don't know, the 160s or the 170s where I, I would consider them not boring, but, but less interesting and, and kind of being like, come on, let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to some more character development and, and, and character studies. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think everybody has their issues that they remember as the good ones that they're like, yeah, it holds up. This is still the good one, <laughs> right? Somebody else would read it and be like, I this doesn't make any sense. This is this is total garbage. Yeah. <clears throat> so and th and that <clears throat> just has to do with you know it it touching you in a particular way as you were first reading it as a as as a youngster. Right. Uh, and then the question about was he uh, what was he trying to do, essentially, is, is what what he asks. Um, uh, I don't know. Right. But what my my theory would be is that I, I think at this point he's the most popular comic book at Marvel. So I think he's just stretching his his writing. Uh, I don't know. Hand. And I, and I think he is highly aware of what's going on in the comics industry. And, and in 1986, that's when 
that is the year that Dark Knight Returns came out. That is the year that Watchmen came out. And these these comics are doing phenomenally well, and they're turning the industry on its head to something that is very different. At least at least with what's happening with the Mutant Massacre. Yeah. Prior to that, I don't know. I <laughs> I, I think uh, Chris Claremont is a lot of a lot of things as a writer, and I think he has strengths and he has weaknesses and sometimes he plays to either one of those. Um, I don't know. It's probably not that easy writing hundreds of issues in a row and keeping it interesting. So you're going to have your, your winners and your losers. Yeah. Yep. Did you ever read invincible? Uh, I've read the first 70 some issues. Yeah. Then you got bored, didn't you? I think. Or you lost interest. It was mainly because I reached, I was reading them in the omnibus ones, the big hardcover omnibus things. Mm -hmm. And I think I reached the last one at the time and I just never went back. The only reason I ask is, yeah, I, I, I have read them all and they're actually, the series is actually coming to a close in like six more issues. So yeah, I heard about that. We'll have uh, an ending, but I might go back and read the rest of it just because (laughs) that sounds interesting. Meh. Here's my point. Like the first 30, 40 issues um, are, are, and maybe this is rose colored glasses, right? Because you, you, I read the first 10 issues and I was like, this is really good. And then I read more. I was like, this is really good. And I read more. It was really good. And then I got to an arc where like it, uh, it felt like uh, he had run out of things to do uh, in the playground that he had created. So he needed to expand. And, and then it, it became a little messy and the tone changed and people started dying like crazy um and it took a left turn um what's my point i don't know it lost its original and the point is you got to keep shaking it up and sometimes like in order to keep a story fresh they they try really strange wacky things yeah so and sometimes they don't work so that's what my theory is that 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 Chris Claremont is, is, I don't know that he's trying to attract new audience. I'm, I'm sure he is. I mean, I'm sure that's part of the deal at Marvel is like, hey, we got to sell books. Can you try to sell more books? But yeah, he's probably like, well, I can't keep just doing the same same old thing. So let's try this. Let's kill all the Morlocks and then let's do this other thing. And then. And yet you also have to keep doing the same thing. It's this balance right. of like, I need to keep the, the reason this is popular is because of A, B, and C. I can't lose A, B, and C. Right. I can't lose A, B, or C. Like I can't kill Wolverine. Right. Right. So, so it's challenging. I don't know. It's 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 it's. I think I think uh, it's more impressive as a whole yeah. than it is as individual pieces. Yeah. And you can you can you can pick at the individual pieces uh, like I like I do now with Star Wars, but it's still a very important and amazing film. He also asks us how we create our reading orders and how do we know what to read. And that's that's Adam's line of business. I don't do any of that. Um, <laughs> a lot of it just has to do with I have I have a couple of resources. Um, one of them is the complete Marvel reading order, uh, which you can Google right now. And uh, so I have I have like three resources similar to that. And I just cross reference them all in a big, stupid spreadsheet. And then you that only really get, they're, they all disagree. Yeah. So it's like uh, that gives me a list of things and then I actually have to go and read all the things. And when I don't read all the things in ahead of the curve, we end up doing what we did in the last two episodes, which is just fitting something in at the last possible second before we lose the track of it. Right. So it ain't easy. Well, and there's been some before we're like, hey, there's this toad issue that we totally missed and we cover it, of course, because we got to. But yeah, and there's been some other things where it's like, here's a story that features some X-Men, but has no place 
And sometimes it works really well. And sometimes it's, you know, you tune out. It is what it is. I mean... I enjoy doing it, so I'll keep doing it until I join it. Don't enjoy doing it. Most of the side stories are kind of stinkers, but every now and <laughs> though you get one that's like, "Hey, this is important. Like this is referenced many times in the future." Yeah, those are the best ones because yes. it's always like, uh, "Wow, I didn't know this story existed." Yeah, those are the hidden gem episodes or issues, rather. <clears throat> so, yeah, we uh, we also got a um, a voicemail. What? We did. Uh, let me let me see if I can dig this up here. Here we, here we go. I got it. Okay. This is from um, Bridget Ferugia. Do you think I got that right? No. Okay. <laughs> hey, Adam. Hey, Jeremy. My name is Bridget Ferugia. I know. Don't even try to say it because I just got married and I can't even say it. Um, but I found your podcast about, oh, about a month ago, and I'm a huge X-Men fan. And yes, yes, I am a girl and a huge comic book fan. And my husband, believe it or not, is not a geek. I had to pull him into the geekdom. It wasn't terribly hard because he got right into it. I was like, oh, you got to read these comics. You got to read these comics. And he would, he would read them. But then for some reason, Batman would always like pull him into reading and not X-Men. So I found your podcast and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And what I do is I, I make custom costumes for people. I have a custom costume business called Euphoria and I make crazy costumes and like Superman, Spider-Man. I made my husband and me Gambit and Rogue. And so while I sew, I listen to your podcast. And sometimes he helps me out, like just keeping me company. And he was listening sometime. And it was during your old early episodes where you would just like rail on stuff. And I, I believe it was the episode where um Cyclops gets the Sentinels to fly into the sun. And he was laughing so hard at the conundrums and the queries and the craziness that you were you were pointing out in the comic book that <laughs> He decided to download your podcast himself and listen to it and learn about X-Men this way because he doesn't have time to read because he's a busy man. So that was pretty cool. That that made our marriage a whole lot stronger in the end. <laughs> I'm so happy that we were able to make somebody's marriage stronger through the power of the X-Men. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um. In fact, that's like super awesome. It warms the cockles of my heart because yeah. I have cockles in my heart. I don't. It's, it's sad. I won't be alive next year. Just <laughs> yeah, so, gonna um... say, there's probably a pill for that. <laughs> um, we, sorry. I mean, greetings from the future uh, in the past, um, because as many issues past that, uh, and I apologize that that we haven't been as funny as we were in the early days. Because yeah, you know, the, we're we're it's tough as as it is tough for Chris Claremont to. <laughs> keep his issues of x-men going it's also tough for us to keep the interest of reading those said issues. i'm losing it All i right. think it's the uh it's the source material really lends itself um the worse it is the better we are <laughs> I, I i remember that issue uh because it's a good issue you know it's but i also do remember us having a lot of um fun with you know the whole conundrum that yeah we need to have more fun <laughs> yeah we, adam where why has the fun gone out of this relationship maybe you and i should find a podcast to listen to and learn about other superheroes and maybe our friendship can become stronger wow <laughs> i love it <laughs> uh and it's cool that she, that uh i totally pronounced her name wrong for for Ruggio. she has a, a costume 
business, which sounds super awesome. There is there is actually a part two to her message that you will have to turn in tune into next episode for. Yeah, man, it's a teaser for a message that somebody le- left us. And how exciting is that? <laughs> yeah, you don't get that too often. Uh, and she says that she um, discovered our podcast a month ago. Well, we got that message like a month ago, so it's been like two months. So, so it's been two months. <laughs> yeah, we're we're slow. You thought we'd never play it. Well, we played half of it. She probably gave up on the podcast. She's like, they're never going to play my voicemail. I'm done with this stupid podcast. Listen anymore. Nobody listens anymore. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, and I, I actually haven't listened to part two of the message, so I look forward to that as well. And, and – if you would like to get a hold of us, please do so. www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, Twitter us at danger room go, or email us danger room at redcapproductions.com. You can always find and subscribe to us on iTunes by going out to the podcast section and uh, uh, just typing danger room into the podcast section, like I just said, and then, and then uh, subscribing, leaving us some stars or a review. And uh, just as Bridget did, you can call us at 501-GET-X-MEN, 501-438-9636, and leave us a voice message with an anecdote or how X-Men has strengthened your relationship. Or not. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Twitter us. Yeah. <laughs> One of the best things about podcasts are throwing them on in the background while you're working on something. Hey, we love to hear about that too. It's always it's always cool to hear about what people do with us in the background. <laughs> uh, you make it sound so dirty. It does sound pretty creepy <laughs> yeah. the way that I just said it. Yeah, but it uh, totally I didn't mean it to be that way. <laughs> um it, it uh it's it's uh it's a bit of a boost for me because i listen to a handful of podcasts and it's usually while i'm doing something else if i sewed which i don't but if i did i would totally have a podcast on in the background and uh, and so it's nice to know uh that that we are in somebody's lives in that capacity as well it, it makes this whole thing worth because we don't make no money on it and i'd say you should make adam and jeremy costumes but Everybody would just ask who you are. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to take the belly out a little bit for mine, and that, that just doesn't make a good superhero costume. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, it's Fat Cyclops. Shut, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, uh, we we do have a little bit more, more ma- mutant massacre to cover. Because the massacre don't stop. Yeah. Um, it's actually... This is not a bad read, in my opinion, uh, especially if you're engrossed in in what's happening with X Factor. Um, I don't want to cover it too in depth, but I'll I'll hit some highlights. Adam, did you read this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 it's it's got it's got Walt Simonson art, which is great. And I guess I should back up a second. This has also got the cover that we talked about with the border, and this one's got brooding Cyclops, which is fantastic. His bottom lip is a little wormy, in my opinion. But oh, I, I love this cover. Oh, but no, yeah, his lip is practically <clears throat> quivering. It's like he's like, "You called me a bad name." Well, I think this is supposed to embody everything that he's going through with Jean and Madeline. Which it does. It it does, but we haven't really hit this note yet in X Factor. So I don't know if if uh, uh, if. Louise Simonson was like, hey, man, I'm about to do some stuff to Cyclops, so why don't you just make that cover like a quivering mess? 
And now this is like the best representation of Cyclops ever. There's another one where it's essentially the same, except the top of his uh, mask is cut off. So his hair is sticking out, but he's still got the visor on. And they they put it in the little um, UPC box where Spider-Man usually goes. And Mm. it's it's an equally brooding Cyclops, but he just has an alternate costume on. Now it's it's also nothing's better than brooding Cyclops. No. Um, So this this doesn't maybe start. I don't know. I don't maybe starts out a little bit stronger. It starts off with a bunch of Morlocks uh, in the alley, just going about Morlock business. And then you get a two page spread of more of Marauders killing Morlocks. It's uh, it's Arclight and Harpoon and Scalp Hunter and two guys that we haven't met yet. Sabretooth and Blockbuster. I don't see Sabretooth and Blockbuster here yet in the, in the two page spread. They're above. Oh, they Harpoon. are. And Arclight. They're in the shadows. You're right. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, they all go running off. But but really, that, that's okay. So that's really what's happening at the same time, maybe before. I mean, keep in mind, the events of this issue and that X-Men issue are almost happening simultaneously. I thought this would be really interesting, but I totally didn't put any effort into this is to take the entire mutant massacre and try to put it in order panel by panel. Have fun with that. (laughs) I'm not going to do it, but I think it'd be really cool if somebody else did it. So you had like a complete story and where, to the best of somebody's ability, where these panels fit in uh, beat by beat. I'll do that a little bit for the next episode. Okay. So so we might stop a comic book in the middle of it and jump back to another comic book. Okay. okay? That's <laughs> that, my that's my deal to you. That that sounds hard, but I <laughs> I look forward to it. Uh remember last time X Factor is rushing Rusty back to the headquarters with Skids because Rusty uh he got hurt by Blob quite a bit and uh Beast and Cyclops they're the first ones that come across Harpoon who's killing Morlocks. And they realize that it's real. It's going down. Stuff is happening. Tar Baby is carrying uh, Dream... What's her name? Dream or something? Dreamer? Beautiful Dreamer. Beautiful Dreamer. Yep. Um, Angel and Gene make it back to X-Factor headquarters, and Skid's like, Oh my god, you guys are mutant hunters. I don't trust you at all. Gene's like, wraps her up in a bunch of metal, and she's like, You gotta watch Rusty. We got some stuff to deal with. If you want to leave after that, you can. Um... Caliban has uh, got Leech and Artie, and he's he's taking them to uh, trying to keep them safe. Uh, but that's when Sabretooth, our first real scene of him in an X comic, he comes out of nowhere and slices Caliban in the guts, starts beating the crap out of him. Artie hides Leech in a in a tunnel. Um, X Factor is going to get him. Uh, Cyclops blasts Sabretooth and assumes that he's out for the count. Uh, assumes he's dead, maybe. I guy. No, he says uh, he was trying to kill everybody, but he's still alive so far. Um, yeah, okay. So the the threat is that maybe he will kill him. Yeah. But it's Cyclops. Come on. Uh, Artie's like, hey, he can't talk. But he's like, yeah, it's Cyclops. I got to go see him. But Leech is like, no, you stay here, bad man. <laughs> and uh, they, they end up rescuing Caliban uh, in the last uh, moments as Sabretooth wakes up and is about to kill him. Meanwhile, though, Freedom Force has, well, Mystique specifically, has dropped the story about Warren Worthington being the primary backer of X-Factor. And he's also a known mutant. What? Yeah. She didn't tell him that X-Factor and the Exterminators are one, but she's thinking that the right journalist will make that connection. I'll figure it out. Yep. So 
Um, Cameron reveals this to Angel, and Angel's like, oh my god, that's crazy. We get some Candy Southern returning to the comic after I don't know how long. I guess she's been in X-Factor here and there. Uh, X-Factor 1, I think. She hasn't been back since then? I don't think so. I think he took off, and then that's it's it. It's been all goo-goo over Jean Grey. Yeah, so she she's running like a board meeting. She's like vice president. She hears this news, and she's like, oh god, all right, I got to go be with him. He's going to need me for this. <laughs> Little does she know. Meanwhile, uh, Morlocks are fighting Tar Baby. Ape is there. You remember Ape, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, He's safe. He's got a name. That's <laughs> right. Uh, Iceman freezes Blockbuster's hands in an ice handcuff, but guess what? Blockbuster just breaks through them <laughs> like, like everybody always does. No block of ice can hold me, turkey. Uh, yeah, they fight, and uh, so eventually they decide that they're going to take these Morlocks back to the X-Factor complex. Um, Artie is like, Leech, leave me alone, buddy. Like, I got to tell you something. And so he, he gets away from Leech's clutches so that he can get away from his power dampening ability, uh, which is what you were referring to in the last issue, right? When Leech and Rogue got next to each other, they nullified each other. I don't think Leech has, has Leech ever met Rogue. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I don't. Th- I don't know if they've ever. I, I was thinking of somebody else. Yeah. Well, that happened, and and I think they both fell to the ground. Okay. Um. Leech gets or Artie gets away, and he's like, "Those those are my buddies." He projects a mental image of those are those being his buddies, and he decides to go after him, which basically forms the kind of the rest of the uh, uh, motivation for this uh, issue, in that the X Factor has to save Artie. Mm-hmm. Um. So Angel and uh, Gene are standing over Rusty, who's 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 up on some medical equipment. They can't, they can't take him to the hospital cause he's wanted. So he is kind of like a prisoner. They feel bad about that. Uh, they're talking a little bit about him being outed and he's like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And, uh, they, they embrace, uh, Jean talks a little bit about Cyclops and, and the whole, like keeping the secret from her, but she's still, she still has feelings for Cyclops, even though, how can I love and hate him so much at the same time? Right. So they're, they're, they're in for a, a very, um, uh, uh, tender moment, tender hug, um, which I'm mixed on this, right? Cause Candy comes in and she's like, what is going on here? I was so worried, and I find you like this. Um, I've looked over your philandering before, but this is the limit. And you, Jean Grey, haven't you wrecked enough lives? Yeah, she's jumping to conclusions, but well, she's not wrong. She, she, She's not wrong. However, uh, Angel and Jean have known each other since they were teenagers. They've fought alongside each other. They've almost died together. They've saved the world together. For them to be in a tender embrace could be just two good friends who are sharing a moment while the person that they're charged to take care of is on intensive care. First of all, Angel waits like five panels before he says, Candy, wait, it's not what you think, which <laughs> implies that, yes, it is. Well, yeah. And Candy gets an awesome line where she says to Jean Grey, you're a mutant, all right, but your real power is to make men fall in love with you and then destroy them. <laughs> I like it. It's That's really out of left field. Like, it's not Jean's fault. No, it's ridiculous. And it's not it's, like Jean has done this over and over again. Like it happened once and it wasn't even her fault. She saved the X-Men and went into a cocoon. It's, <laughs> anyway. it's, a, it's, it's, I don't, yeah, it's, it's just funny line. I like it. It's funny. Yeah. So she, she, she hurls the, like, take the vice presidency in this, this briefcase of papers and shove it. Angel's about to go after her, but then he thinks to herself, 
uh, hit himself rather. He's like, ah, I'm not going to salvage this. Plus X Factor needs me. Gene, wait up. I'm going to help you find Artie. So uh, they go, we get the introduction of Pestilence. Sabretooth and Pestilence uh, are fight. Well, not really fighting. Sabretooth is about to kill Pestilence, um, but... She, well, no, this is Plague. Her name is not Pestilence, correct. Her name is Plague. She We've met Plague before. She touches Sabretooth and he, he gets sick. And yeah, she did the same thing to somebody back in the X-Men, when X-Men first met the Morlocks. Right. And uh, Harpoon is getting ready to throw a harpoon at Plague when Apocalypse shows up. And grabs him by his He-Man head. And just <laughs> He does have He-Man hair, yeah. Smacks him well, into the smashes ground. Smashes him into the ground. Holy cow. And and is he dead? No. Like, this is quite a, a smash into the ground. Like, he upends the man and then smacks his head into the ground. Like, his feet are in the air and his head is on the ground. It's it's the feet being in the air that saved him. <laughs> okay. And he just goes up to Plague and he's like, hey, want to be Pestilence, my first horseman? Ah. Sure, Sonny. She responds in the best possible way. You sure you know what you're doing, Sonny? <laughs> I was ancient when you were young. Come, we will leave together. Uh, weird. This whole scene's weird. Uh, Apocalypse just shows up. Hey, mutant massacre. Cool. I need you. <laughs> you go away. Okay, we're out of here. Yeah. Yeah, he'll do this more. I think he does it through every issue of the Mutant Massacre. Yeah, he's, he's you know, he's building something. This is, yeah, right. This is the only one that I think is in context of anything. Uh, everything else is kind of random. But anyways, um, yeah, Sabretooth is like, oh my God, that, that woman's crazy. If it wasn't for my healing factor, I'd be dead. Which is, I think, the first mention of Sabretooth having a healing factor. Yeah, somewhere along the line, I may, oh, I see, I'm, I'm coming up to it. So yeah, the, the X Factor, X Factor, meets up with each other we also get another marauder we get prism who is a living prism whoa (laughs) the only role he serves is to absorb all of cyclops's um optic beams refract it back to cyclops and then get smashed into pieces by gene i think he's dead short-lived prism (laughs) prism I don't know how she knows his name. Prism, get away from them. Smash. Uh, he says his own name at some point. Uh, too bad Prism was so brittle, eh, Scrambler? Scrambler's out for the count again, but He says, did I introduce myself? I'm Prism, and you know what a Prism does, and I do so much more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Cyclops is out. Um, he's not out, but he's he's ineffective at this point. Uh, and so is Beast. Um, Gene... Oh, Prism is not dead. I just looked it up. Are you sure? He next appears in Uncanny X-Men 240. Well, so look forward to that. So he must pull himself together. Like a little piece of him survived, kind of like Groot, and he regrew himself? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> I, I bet you we won't. <laughs> <laughs> Warren, uh, Gene calls out to Warren that they got to follow Arclight and Scrambler, but... But he's Angel's like, no, you got to get these people back to X Factor, Beast and Cyclops. I got to go get Artie. And Cyclops is like, oh, man, I'm so jealous of him and Gene. But what gives me the right? He's going to go. He saves me. He risks his life for Artie. If he survives, if Gene wants him, I swear I won't stand in their way. What movie does this remind me of? I don't know. It's, 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 this is like dialogue from a movie. It's very, I don't know. It's very, it's very, uh, it's very, it's kind of reminding me of something. It's kind of cliche. So, I mean, it's probably reminding you of many different things, but could be. Uh, and, uh, so Gene takes off with them and, uh, Angel, 
he he's off to find Artie, and he does. He finds Artie almost immediately, who points behind him and 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 points at at uh, uh, let's see, it's Vertigo, it's Vertigo, Blockbuster, and um, Harpoon. Harpoon. And so Angel's like, "All right, Artie, you got to go over there. You got to hide. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to get you back to the complex. Uh, but whatever you hear, <laughs> don't come in here." <laughs> so. It's kind of like he knows what's going to happen. I think he's accepted his fate. But he, he does try to take on these three people. Um, he does a decent job. He, he knocks out Vertigo. He is able to, I think, take Blockbuster off balance and Harpoon off balance. But eventually Blockbuster grabs Angel by his wings, breaking them, slams him up against the wall, and Harpoon, with a very comical grin, plunges his harpoons through Angel's wings, pinning him to the wall. And uh, he's thinking to himself, my life, so screwed up. X-Factor, Candy, Gene, Artie will tell her. And then he (laughs) thinks to himself, no, what a jerk, what a fool. Artie can't talk. You can't tell her anything. Guess it's just as well. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that Artie can't talk. It's a little ridiculous. But in the heat of the moment. But otherwise, without the words, it's great. <laughs> I, you know, and I I feel like when I read this originally, and actually probably in subsequent readings, I always forget about this page of dialogue because it, it is kind of unnecessary. But Well, it, it's, it's, the, it's the turning point of after that candy and gene scene, uh, Warren becomes this sort of mopey, uh, nothing I ever do is right. Yeah, yeah. But but even when he tells Artie, like, hey, go tell Gene an X Factor, like, he, he can't write and he can't talk, but he can project images. And he's a pretty creative little boy. He could probably convey something with those to tell her. So I don't know why he's all like, oh, you idiot. He can't talk. He can't tell her anything. He's stupid. Just get rid of the, the, the sound balloons. Blockbuster says, you're a loser, fly boy, pinned by the only things that made you anything special. Harpoons, harpoons. <laughs> so that's oh, your wings. Yeah, by harpoons, harpoons. Um, so this is this is a this is a key issue, obviously. Yeah, and they're about to kill him. Yes, they kill are. Kill him now, says harpoon. Yep. Uh, I also want to point out that uh, Warren says, "I know you, Vertigo. I faced you before, and I know your weakness." And then he punches her. <laughs> Apparently your weakness is getting hit in the face. You don't like to be punched in the face. That's a lot of people's weaknesses. So. I know it's mine. <laughs> oh, me? I'm I'm immune to being punched in the face. <laughs> not the face! Not the face! <laughs> and finally, we have a Marvel fanfare. Yeah, this is another one of those where does it go sort of things. And I think it kind of has to go before the issue that we did of X-Men to 11. I, it could go, Nightcrawler's not in this issue, so it could go before 2.10, but it doesn't matter. Oh, uh, yeah, it, it, Rachel's not in this issue, Nightcrawler's not in this issue. I think it was written in, like, 1987 or something, so maybe they weren't familiar with who was on the team at the time. There's a special thanks to Quest Probe editor Bob Budiansky. And when they say Quest Probe, are they referring to the video game series? Uh, did you read the the L, what's his face thing? No. The cartoon at the beginning? L Milgram? No, I didn't. Uh, apparently this is a, this was a story that was written and created as part of Marvel's Quest Probe series. Oh, okay. It was never published Interesting. So they're they're publishing back stories that they just were in the queue. 
Do you know what Quest Probe is? I'm guessing it's a bunch of annuals. No. No? Quest Probe, and I I think they only made one. It, it's a video game. It's like a... Um, do you remember the, the um, product that Tom Hanks was trying to develop with his girlfriend in Big? No. Oh, my God. All right. So giant piano. No. <laughs> so he comes up with this idea because uh, he's like tasked with this, like you got to invent a new toy. And he comes up with this idea that he wants to do computerized comic books. So you would, you would buy a tablet essentially. And then every month you would go to the comic book shop and you would buy like a disc or a thing and you would stick it into the tablet. And then you wouldn't really be reading a story. You'd be, you'd be choosing things for the heroes to do. Uh, that's what they came up with in big. And I can't remember if big was out before this or not, but quest pro was essentially similar where you would have like a panel of comic book. And then you, you would say, it would be like Hulk is about to be attacked. What would you like to do? And then you could say, run away Hulk or smash or Hulk smash. And then the next like base, it's like a choose your own adventure, but on the computer based on comic book characters. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they only made a Hulk quest probe. According to the article that I'm Googling right now, um, Quest Probe is a trilogy of graphical adventure computer games featuring the Hulk, Spider-Man, and the Human Torch and the Thing. So there were three. Okay. The only ones I ever saw, or only one I ever saw advertised was the Hulk one. I don't know that all of these were released. Uh, It could be that only the Hulk one was released. That's possible. Um, Let's see. Uh, Looks like they were all released. Um. In both uh, individual and as a compilation entitled Adventure Theories 13 Plus. And then the fourth one was supposed to be an X-Men title. And this was partly coded. And then they became bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> and there was apparently a comic tie-in that was supposed to be a 12-issue limited series that was canceled after issue three. And this would be issue four. Huh. Interesting. The events of the Quest Probe comic book were later followed up in the Quasar series. So anyways, that's that's there you go. I didn't. I didn't read that, but that would. I, I would have been more interested in this uh, if I would have read the Milgram piece. It's kind of a story that doesn't really matter. Nope. The only thing that's really interesting to me is the fact that whenever this takes place, uh, they're back on Magneto's Atlantis Island, and Lee Forrester is there hanging out. Yeah, so when I first discovered this, I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those things that's, like, important, because, like, Lee Forrester's there, and that'll be like, what? (laughs) But then, then I read it, and I was like, oh. The only thing that maybe places it a little bit is that, that she says, like, she's been away for a while, and Magneto's like, I can't believe you came back, and so, I don't know. So they are moving stuff, I guess they're abandoning, uh, Magneto's abandoning his island, and they are moving important equipment to the school. I think they're also vacationing, too, a, a bit. Yeah, because they, they, they got a chance to uh, relax, finally, which they don't expect to last. Even though Kitty and Wolverine are like, this place gives me the creeps. And Storm, too. Yeah. Storm is wearing a very skimpy bathing suit. She's, I'm surprised she's not naked. <laughs> well, she might as well be. Or, or, I mean, she's she's doing an immaculate job manicuring her bikini zone. Because it's a <laughs> very, very unrealistic swimsuit line. Kitty is attempting to sneak attack Wolverine using her phasing ability. But Wolverine keeps catching her and saying, try harder. You owe me a pack of beer. If you win, I'll buy you some lemonade. Ew, she says to both the beer and the lemonade. <laughs> Lemonade's like 99 cents, right? <laughs> whole pack of beer's like $20. <laughs> I 
Yeah, uh, and basically the island, I don't know, somebody portals out of the island and they attack and they turn everybody into stone, except for Magneto, whose transferred body is with some other entity this issue is kind of a mess it would have made a super boring game <laughs> well it was never it was never intended to be a game i don't think no i think i think the game was probably not this oh i see this is the the tie-in or the yeah okay but i could be wrong rogue uh for some reason rogue develops she hulk and human torch powers all right so let me explain to you yeah. uh what's going on uh <laughs> doesn't <okay>. matter <laughs> <laughs> there's no it doesn't there's a uh, <laughs> okay good there's like in there's like an entity whose race um is getting destroyed and they're a very peaceful people but this one guy's like well we don't have to be peaceful anymore so let's go use some special powers that we have acquired to go borrow some superheroes powers from earth and they borrow uh Hulk's power and Spider-Man's power and Human Torch's power. They collected those already. However, the what the guy that is collecting these things doesn't realize is one of the devices that he has. There's a crystal and a egg, um, an energy egg and a biogem, they call them. One of them is pure evil. Mm-hmm. So the pure evil part of it takes over and decides to go after villains and he's going to take over the world by stealing villains powers. So he goes after Magneto because Magneto is perceived to be a major villain in the Marvel universe. Um, so that's how Rogue gets Spider-Man's and Hulk's and uh, Human Torch's powers. Totally makes sense because on just, just on the cover of Quest Probe featuring the Hulk, the video game, there is the portal, the black portal. There's that dude with the glass head and then there's the egg and the crystal, and Hulk is trying to get those two things. Oh, you know what? I bet this would make a lot more sense if we read the first three issues of Quest Probe. Probably. But are there... Act- yeah, 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 because this is the... So so there three issues of Quest Probe exist. Yeah, and they and they must star and those, uh, those tie Human in- Torch, yeah. Hulk, and Spider-Man. Spider-Man. And those tie into the games, which I'm looking at right now, which have all of the same elements that you're describing, on the covers at least. And then this would have been a tie-in for the fourth game, or the okay. fourth issue. So, wow, we're uncovering all sorts of stuff. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, everybody's been turned into stone except for Rogue and Magneto. You mentioned that, right? Yeah. Uh, Wolverine gets tossed way far away. He's he turned into stone. drowns. <laughs> Well, Rogue picks him up and puts him on a boat. Uh, uh, but Kitty, though, falls to the bottom of a pool. That's and true. Colossus goes to save her, but then turns into stone and never saves her, which they do bring back later. And, uh, yeah, this is kind of incomprehensible. Magneto it, it transfers bodies with another entity, and he talks to this dude. And Magneto convinces him that it's the wrong thing to do. And that if he just, if, if you guys wanted our help to fight your bad guys, you probably should have just asked. And then apparently the guy restores everything back to the way it was. And Magneto's like, we'll help you. And the guy's like, nah, we got this. And there's, there's a moral message about uh, people being anti-war and that violence is never the answer, especially in a society like that. Because you're going to end up changing your people. Yeah, Magneto's got like a soliloquy here. (laughs) It's a full page of blah, blah, blah. Bozo's crazy. By the standards of his people, certainly a dangerous psychopath. But consider, child, 
Yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi said some stuff, and that was important, and so yeah. did Christ. Anyways. Super important. The end. <laughs> uh, Kitty does not drown. Nope. She comes up later and says, hey, I'm still here, you big lug lucky thing. Rocks don't need to breathe. <laughs> so. Ching. Uh, yeah, so it starts out promising because you see Lee Forrester and you see the island from issue 150. Is it from 150? It's from 150 and other issues where the, it was the X-Men's temporary base where Ileana was kidnapped by Belasco. So it's like, oh, this ties into everything. And it does, but it's not important. And even Storm brings up the time that uh, Magneto almost kills Kitty. Right. Almost so killed them it, both. Yeah. Yep, so so it, 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 it directly seems to tie in and then just goes off on this whole quest probe thing, which now now that I know that it's a quest probe thing makes it very interesting. But when I was reading it, I was just like, what? What, <laughs> what is going? This well, is so bad. I also thought it was like, oh, maybe various superheroes that Rogue has absorbed in the past are are being pulled out of her because she, I think, didn't she absorb She-Hulk's powers at one point and Torch and Spider-Man? I don't. I, don't I know she did She-Hulk's, but I don't know about Spider-Man Yeah, or, or Torch. That wouldn't make any sense because she'd be like, oh my God, it's Peter Parker. <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody. All right. Everybody knows. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this one went a bit long. So anything else you want to talk about, Adam? Let's talk more about Star Wars and others things the last jedi comes out aren't you super excited by the trailer you saw i haven't watched the trailer yet oh i watched the trailer for black panther looks good yeah I, I, is there a new one yeah there uh, came out a couple days ago maybe yesterday i don't know okay i saw an, uh, an earlier one which also made it look good so i don't know i'll be there for star wars i yeah i'll, I'll, I'll go see it a couple times I, if it's good well yeah once I, if it's not <laughs> i guess i saw i saw rogues store rogue one i saw that three times really but, I, but for five I bucks each still haven't rewatched that since i saw it the first time yeah but i saw the fan uh, the the phantom minutes the uh force <laughs> awakens in the theaters a few times I three or four definitely I, three can't remember if there was a fourth one or not i think i saw force awakens twice in the theater and i certainly watched it at home two or three times did i ever tell you that i watched phantom menace 10 times once a week for 10 weeks when it came out was this an experiment to like prove that s submitting yourself to any one thing, no matter how bad it is, can make it good? <laughs> no, at the time, I didn't realize it was bad. Oh. Um, I was so excited that there was new Star Wars that it didn't matter what it was. And there were, you know, there was enough of that movie that was good that I ignored all of the horribleness. Um, <clears throat> so I did not hate phantom menace I, th I still think it's the best of the three but that's <sighs> yeah i let's say not a popular opinion i don't that's not really saying much either i mean i can see where people would argue that the third one is the best of the three but that movie's got so many problems of its own that it anyways can we all universally agree that the second was it was just terrible yes okay <laughs> so moving on from that um i think maybe i could say that you know after all of these years uh, and and the wounds healing. Um, I think maybe I could agree that Phantom Menace uh, is is probably the best of the three because uh, uh, it, um, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> for me for me it's the most Star Warsy of the three. It feels the most like a Star Wars movie. It does and it doesn't. Right? There, I mean, it, there, if you you could, I think it's the one that if you edited it down 
might be an okay movie. It it looks like a Star Wars music um, music movie. <laughs> it sounds like a Star Wars movie, but it doesn't really feel like a Star Wars movie. Uh, it is. It is. Uh, if you ever if you ever just put it on in the background and don't watch it, it is the noisiest film ever. <laughs> Well, everybody everybody talks like with a crazy accent and there's all like burr, burr, burr. there's so much noise yeah don't ever try to fall asleep to it um i'm just trying to figure out a way to articulate this like the second one was just such a long boring mess yeah there's nothing of value in the second one no and then the third one yes it's it's the dark one it's the gritty one it's finally we get to where we needed to get to because it's we the first time to. there was a massive space battle that was boring. The space battle—I I, like the space battle, like the opening space battle. Really, everybody loves the space battle. I found I was just like, bah. I like the space battle. I—I I lose interest as soon as they get into the ship, and all of a sudden R two D two is doing things that R two D two can't do, but apparently he can. <laughs> uh, uh, and then it, it gets a little boring, and then Order eighty six or whatever. Um, but uh. Yeah, okay. Anyways, I guess I'm just rambling. Uh, Phantom Menace was definitely, of those three, the one that felt the most Star Wars, but maybe it's just because you'd been waiting so long and you'd watched that trailer over and over again. It was a good trailer. It was a good trailer. It it brought, like, you saw everything you needed to see. You saw a Jedi battle. You saw a double-sided lightsaber, and you saw a crazy spaceship that almost looked like a TIE fighter but wasn't a TIE fighter. Um, But there's no character development. Yeah, no, it's it was... It was uh, bad. Uh, anyway, so, but, uh, yeah. But. I don't think I'll ever do that, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rogue One's space battle, uh, I will say, was was probably the best we've seen a space battle. Oh, yeah. That, that, was, that was a good one. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm done talking about Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you took the bait on that one. <laughs> I couldn't let that one go. <laughs> All right, everybody, uh, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is finally closed. (laughs) 